0: And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church.
1: said, I'm here. And that rain today to cool everything off was just a welcome reprieve. That's what I feel here tonight, that same thing spiritually, just a welcome reprieve to come into the house of the Lord kind of take a deep breath and say I am in out of the weather and we've come to magnify the Lord for just a little while in this place tonight. If you have your Bibles I'm going to ask you to join me in the book of Luke chapter 18 and uh, we're going to read a couple of verses there. I'm going to read a verse out of the book of Romans that you know very very well and then we're going to just take a journey through various scriptures. We're going to continue our thought on When God's people pray and what happens when the church prays, certainly different things happen when and as we pray and as circumstances of our life change and uh, situations that we're praying about. And so we're going to talk about a couple of different aspects of that when we pray. And so the book of Luke 18, and uh, let's read down through verse number 7. There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward, everybody say afterward. But afterward, that's a key word. He said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Verse number 6 This was a a parable, and so the Lord now draws our attention to the meat of the matter. And he said, And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith, and shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them. So a question. And so if this unjust judge can in time give, then cannot I do the same thing. Also, uh, you don't have to turn there Romans eight twenty eight, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are the called according to his purpose amen Lord I love you tonight I thank you for your mercy Lord I thank you for this wonderful privilege that you've granted to me tonight to speak to this great congregation thank you for these wonderful people Lord that have assembled together and I pray Lord now that we will be indeed even doubly rewarded for the time the effort and the energy now that has been invested into this service and I pray that your word we know that it's already been prophesied, told to us and promised that it would not return void. And so we just speak this word in faith tonight, planting it in hearts and minds and souls in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated in the fear of the Lord. I have intentionally read these two scriptures together so that we can sort of see the contrasts between the two. In Romans Paul said to the church at Rome, uh, essentially, he said, no matter what we face in life, that everything is going to work out in the end. We know that many times there have been situations and circumstances in our lives that we have watched that unfold just that way. A season of time, it made no sense. And then we have lived in some situations long enough to see That God indeed did take those circumstances Perhaps not orchestrated by him to begin with But he did take those circumstances and work them for our good And maybe you've experienced the victorious side of some of those prayers And then our situations and perhaps we're still in the throes of others That have not yet come to fruition Yet he said that everything's going to come out in the end But he does not promise exactly when God will intervene. Just all things will work together for the good. And so we just have our faith bedded in that. And then in Luke, the scripture promises that God will hear and that God will answer our prayers, but it doesn't say when he will respond. It doesn't say that just because we asked this afternoon that by in the morning everything will all be taken care of and everything will be as they say fine and dandy. And so what we have to take into consideration, and I know that this is a big subject, and I'm just going to touch on this very, very briefly in passing, but what we have to what we have to realize <clears throat> is that you and I live within the confines of this thing we call time. We live our time dictates our entire- every right. moment of our life, no pun intended, but it it really does, and so we We keep up with everything. We have a time to be here, a time to start, a time to end, so to speak. And so we are all bound up in time, and time means everything to us because minutes are precious, hours mean something to us, a day, week, months, years, certainly collectively all mean something to that. So we weigh everything in our lives against the backdrop of time. However, there's something powerful that we must hold on to, and that is the fact that God does not live uh, within those confines. Amen. He doesn't. He he time is nothing to the Lord. And so we we can't get all bound up in that spiritually speaking. And so here I said all of that to say this that just because, and, and I know this this is a little a little bit blunt, but hear me. Just because we don't live to see the fulfillment of something does not mean that it didn't come to pass. Now I know that that's a little bit disconcerting because we we'd like to pray and we know that God has has heard our prayer and even in some cases we feel like God has has given an approval on a prayer but yet we don't we don't see the end of the matter and so if we're not careful we get frustrated why? Because we are bound by time. We are relegated by time and so we We think at least on the largest scale that humanly possible we'd think we would like to think in my lifetime I'd like to see such and such happen. But just because we don't live to see something fulfilled doesn't mean that it doesn't come to pass and so that's why we have to live for the Lord by faith. We may never know the impact that our lives have on the the lives of other people. We may never know that in, in the truest sense and so Uh, Another thing that's a little bit hard to reconcile is the fact that not everyone lives to see the results of their good. That's the absolute truth, at least to the fullest measure. They may live long enough to see some fruit of their investment, some harvest that comes in of, of a life well lived. But nevertheless, they may not see it in its fullest measure. Now, to try to make that make sense, I want to go to some passages of Scripture And I want to talk about the life of a lady that many of us know, and we know her story well. And that is the lady by the name of Ruth. And so after Naomi lost her husband, and then she lost two of her sons, now Naomi is in a strange land with really, we might want to say, two strange women. I don't want to paint daughter-in-laws as strange women, but you know what I'm talking about. I don't want to say. I don't want to say too much and and be penalized by my own daughter-in-law here tonight. That does happen. So, uh, <laughs> so she urged her daughter-in-law. She she said, you know, just go find another husband and go on with your life. Because even she went as far to say this: if I had a, more children, you. You're not going to wait on them to be grown to marry them, and so just move on with your life. Well, one daughter, Orpah, did, but we know that, that Ruth did not. And so Ruth's reply is captured for us in Ruth 1 and 16. Very pointed, powerful scripture. The Bible says, And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, nor to return from following after thee, for whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God My God. Now, that's an incredible statement because we know the end of the story. She didn't just say that. She lived that. And so the scripture says that the Lord knows the thought and the intentions of our heart. And so I believe that the Lord knew when she said that, those were not words falling from lips, but those were words falling from a life. She meant that. So Ruth traveled with Naomi back to Naomi's homeland and gleaned grain in the field to support herself and her mother-in-law. When the owner of the field noticed Ruth, he asked her to stay in the field and just, he said, you just fall in behind the gatherers and and you pick up whatever's left over. And this man, his name was Boaz. So instead of feeling entitled to this kind of treatment, because in all truthfulness, Ruth was a, a strange woman in a strange land. And she could have been treated any way. But Boaz recognized something in her and And I don't think his motives were sinister at all, and I think time and Scripture proves that. But he said, "You just fall in behind the gleaners," and then he told the gleaners, "You leave some handfuls on purpose, and let her, let her pick that up." And so, instead of feeling entitled by this kind of treatment, Ruth fell at his feet, and in great humility thanked him and asked him why he was being so kind. And in verse number, this is found in chapter two, verse ten through 12 let's read that the Bible says and she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou should take knowledge of me seeing that I'm a stranger I mean, you, you understand that you are not obligated to this and so how did I find this favor now listen here's the answer to that and Boaz answered and said unto her it hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother in the land of thy nativity, and art coming to a people which thou knewest not heretofore. And so it's not lost to me. I found out, I heard that you stood, you had an opportunity to walk away, but you stood right by her side. Not only did you stand with her there, but you left your country to return to her country, not even to a place that you didn't even know, a people you didn't even know, and you've been looking after her. And so here is what Boaz says. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. And so the good the good really can finish well and god can reward them he said i heard and god is going to honor you that god under whose wings you have learned to trust you have found favor the kindness of ruth the kindness that she that ruth had shown to naomi that kindness was coming back into her life it was flowing into her life i'm not talking about name it and claim it I'm not talking about blab it and grab it. I I, I mean what I'm saying tonight. That when we invest in the kingdom of God, God rewards us back. Hallelujah. I'm I'm certainly not talking about karma either. Amen. We need to quit using that word. Amen. That doesn't belong in the Christian community. Amen. The scripture says, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And so when good things happen, it's because the scripture said that's going to happen. Amen. When bad things happens, because the scripture said that's not that's going to, how it's going to be. But that's not all. That there's more to this story. Naomi discovered that Boaz was a relative. Under their laws, the near kinsman was to take the place of her of her deceased husband and fulfill all the responsibilities of, of of the family to this widow. And so, if you know the story, I'm cutting to the chase. They had to work out a few details there. But Ruth then was taken into the life and the home of Boaz and so she went to be from being a beggar to literally being part of the family and so it wasn't just enough God said, I'm not going to leave you in the field gleaning just handfuls of purpose that you're picking up, but I am going to bring you right into the house of Boaz and you're going to be there, not as a beggar, not as a servant, but as a family. Amen. Now, I think the story of Ruth is an incredible story from beginning to end and I promise you, I, I could talk all night long about Ruth, but to me, right here, it's where this story takes an incredible turn. It's already been incredible, but But here's where the story takes an incredible turn and validates the point that I was trying to make a moment ago. In time, of course, as we all do, Ruth passed. Knowing that God had been faithful to her, Ruth left this world, realizing that when she walked away from her country, her kinsmen, and into a strange land, that God had placed her not just in the field of Boaz, but eventually in the home of Boaz. And she lived under the favor of God and Boaz the rest of the days of her life. But she died and passed from this world without realizing some very critical things. (laughs) Amen. She never knew. She knew God was blessing her. But she did not have a tape long enough to measure that blessing. She had no idea that the name of her great-grandson was going to be David and that he would lead Israel. Amen. What the, It would be well enough to end right there. But she sure didn't know that Matthew one day was going to record for us the manger scene and the birth of a child named Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sin. And so if you just keep your finger in the book of Matthew and ride on that manger holding a man, or young man, a baby by the name of Jesus and start tracing backwards. You're going to go all the way back and you're going to find Ruth right there in that family seed. I'm telling you tonight that when we pray, God may not answer our prayer to the fullest extent like we think that it's all going to come into fruition, we may leave this world thinking, you know what? God's been mighty, mighty good to me. And then when we get to heaven, when we get to heaven, realize that there's some rewards coming our way, we didn't even realize. There's some interest that's being garnered. We didn't even have any idea. That's why I don't want to take too much time here, but that's why we, when, I've always said that, that when we get, we get our rewards, a child of God doesn't get their reward until they stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And the reason for that is because we're not through getting our rewards yet. And I could just pluck one illustration out of the air to validate my point. When you think of all the pioneers of churches, that planted churches all around the world. Amen. They served their tenure, whatever that may have been. It may have been their lifetime, their adult lifetime. They served in that church and and they... Prayed people through the Holy Ghost and wonderful things were happening and families were restored and blah, 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 blah. And they passed from this world and they go on, amen, but they don't realize if that church kept going and souls kept being filled with the Holy Ghost and lives kept being changed every time, every time something positive happened, there was just another deposit that was made in a spiritual account. (laughs) Amen, do you know? that Ruth left this world not realizing that one of her descendants would be the very savior of the world. Amen. So in this life she never knew that. Oh, what don't you know heaven's going to be exciting? Amen. Can't you just see all of these people saying what? You have got to be kidding. I cannot believe my ears. I'm talking about what happens when we pray. She knew that God's grace through Boaz, her kinsman redeemer, but she had no idea it would lead all the way to the manger. From our text, Luke said, And shall not God avenge his own elect? Shall not God avenge them which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? From this, we realize that God can and will answer our prayer, but he doesn't tell us when <laughs> or if we're even going to know the full results or the extent of that prayer. Now, I know that cramps us up a little bit because we'd like to see it all happen in our lifetime. But you see, God has a plan. God has a plan. And so we have to just trust him in that. And so what happens when God's people pray, sometimes the Lord says yes, even if we don't realize that He did. Amen. Amen. And so exactly what happened in the life of Ruth. And so that's just one facet of honored prayers or one facet of what happens when God's people pray. Now I want to take us now down to the book of Judges. We're going to talk about another familiar Bible character, and um, again. A man that has given us a whole lot to think about, talk about, teach, and preach on. But the book of Judges introduces to us a man by the name of Samson and his parents. And so when we go to the book of Judges 13 and 3, the Bible says, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman, which was Samson's mother, destined to be his mother, and said unto her, Behold, now thou art barren, and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and Not just bear a child, but bear a son. Very specific. Now therefore, beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine nor strong drink, and eat not any unclean thing. For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. And so for years, perhaps, Samson's parents have been praying for a child. But they just could not have one. And then all of a sudden, an angel appears and said, Your destiny is about to change. However, there were going to be strings attached to this answered prayer. Samson was not going to be an ordinary child. He would not be just like one of the the other children playing in the street. She said, Because the Lord said, from his very birth he is going to be dedicated unto the Lord and so we're going to take a Nazarite vow and I've preached on this many times through the years and so the, the angel instructed his parents that he was to take the vow of a Nazarite and they were consecrated to the service of the Lord there were many things a Nazarite child or a Nazarite vow uh, encompasses they cannot take strong drink in any shape form or fashion they could not cut their hair they could not touch any dead thing etc and so they were restricted from a lot of things. And so this was not Samson's choice, of course. This was something that the Lord decided. He said, this is what I want. I want a deliverer for Israel, and these are the stipulations. So his parents received the word, and immediately they made this consecration from the very beginning. I think that's incredible. They didn't just, they didn't just pray in earnest until God heard their prayer and then kind of do their own thing. But they said, Lord, if this is what you want, then this is what we'll do. And from his birth, he was consecrated to the Lord. And so in many, many ways, if you know the life of Samson, in in many, many ways, Samson in and of himself is a total contradiction. If you think about his life for just a moment, he was consecrated to live a life that was set apart. The Bible says "And the spirit of the Lord would move on him at times. We read about that. And we read about the great acts of Samson when the spirit of the Lord would move upon him yet some some of Samson's behavior is is some of the most outlandish things we have recorded in all the scripture I mean Samson in one minute is just doing something so spectacular and and he is just being mildly used of God but there is no telling where he will be in the morning right I mean it's incredible but it's true and so his behavior was just so unpredictable and he was just here a moment and there a moment. And most of his weakness sadly played out in living color for the entire world to see. And I'm not suggesting that it had it happened in a dark corner it would have been all right. What I'm saying is that as, as great and outlandish as his, as his victories were, so were his failures. They all made headline news every time. His greatest weakness was relationships with women. So if you take just, for instance, let's go through his life just very quickly. If you take his first wife, and, and, and I just read this from beginning to end today, even though we've all read it many, many times, but when you just start reading it succinctly and you just try to keep it in a box, it is a, it's a real, <laughs> go home and read it and you'll see what I'm talking about. But when we take his first wife, he insisted, that he would, that his mom and dad would, that he would allow him to go to Timnath, and he would marry a Philistine, a girl, a daughter of the Philistines, and so they tried with all of their might to talk him out. You can't do this, Samson. You're a Nazarite. You've been dedicated to the Lord. You, you can't have anything to do with this. But they couldn't talk him out of it, no matter how much he, they tried. And so, on the way to Timnath, apparently his parents were already there. He was making the journey alone. The Bible says that a lion jumped out of the path and there was nothing in his hands, the scripture says, and he slew the lion. Or maybe I said that backwards. He slew the lion and the scripture said there was nothing in his hands. Or in other words, there was no weapon in his hand, but just with sheer strength, he slew a lion. Just for the record, I don't have that particular thing in my resume, but nevertheless, he slew a lion and just goes on about his way. He doesn't even make mention of this. He tells nobody anything about this. And so with his strength, This beast with his bare hands, he leaves it behind. And so as the wedding day approaches, Samson went to Timnath again, and as he did, he walked past the the carcass of the lion, and he noticed there were bees there and then honey, and he reached into the carcass, and there he go. He touched a dead thing. And so he's not only marrying somebody that he shouldn't marry, but now he's over here touching something that he shouldn't touch. And so he even took some of the honey and shared it with his parents, but he didn't tell them anything about the first encounter of killing the lion, nor where the honey comes from. He told no, any, no one about that. And then at the wedding, for whatever reason, sense of just this unpredictable guy right in the middle of this wedding. Uh, I hate to use the word bet, but I guess essentially that's what it would be. But there were 30 young men that were gathered there for the wedding. And so Samson, essentially, I'm putting this in our words, he just sort of bet them. He said, I've got a riddle, and if you can't solve it, then uh, then you owe me 30. He said, if you can solve it, I'll give all 30 of you a brand new suit of clothes. But if not, then I want that from you. And so this this is where this was born the riddle that he placed before them Judges 14 and 4 I'll just read it and he said to them out of the eater came forth the meat and out of the strong came forth the sweetness and they could not in three days the Bible says they could not expound or figure out the riddle <clears throat> try as they might they just could not figure out the riddle so they approached Samson's bride <clears throat> and so they threatened her life <laughs> it's the most bizarre thing I, I kept looking back at the front of this to make sure it didn't say National Enquirer. <laughs> I hope that wasn't too shocking, but I mean that's almost how you feel. You're just reading, you're going for crying out loud, and so they say, "Look here, you tell us the riddle, or we're going to kill you." This has gotten pretty serious over, over close. I'll leave that alone. They threatened to harm her and her father's house if she didn't tell them the answer. So she kept asking and asking. And for seven days, for seven days, she just kept whining and crying and carrying on. And I won't say anything else about that. (laughs) And so finally, Samson just could not take it anymore. And so he gives her the answer to the riddle. She, in turn, tells what he told. In Judges 14 and 18, the men of the city came, and they said unto him on the seventh day before the sun went down, they had the answer, What is sweeter than honey and stronger than the lion? And he said unto them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, ye had not found out my riddle. Now, I realize there's some different typology that's used in scriptures and you know, a lot of references <laughs> that 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 kind of go against the grain of our Western culture. But I don't think in any hour it would be a good idea to call your new bride a heifer. Just a little word to the wise. You do with it what you want to. But if you call her heifer and say, well, it's in the Bible, you you may be eating that Bible. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> and so Samson, <laughs> you still with me now? Samson went to a- Ashkelon. Killed 30 Philistines. Now you you think of the blood shed and the massacre that this set in motion. He was so out enraged that that she had wore him down, he given the answer, and, and he was so enraged about that that he said, Well, I'll go get your 30 suits of clothes. And so he went and killed 30 men and took their garments to pay the debt then he went home to his mother and his father and didn't even go home with his bride (laughs) yes that's another major mistake and so later on Samson then returned to Timnath like like nothing's happened and the scripture says he brought with him I I thought this was kind of cute he brought with him a a new goat I'm going to fix this it's going to take more than a goat, sir. <laughs> I can tell you that. It's going to take more than a goat. And so he returns, but his father-in-law would not let him in the house. And then, insult to injury, he says, as a matter of fact, because you abandoned her, I have given her to be what we would call your best man. I have given him, I've given your wife to the man that served as your best man in your wedding. I mean, this thing is spiraling out of control at warp speed. But he says, I'll tell you what. I'll give you my youngest daughter or my younger daughter in the place of her. But Samson was furious. This is when Samson captured 300 foxes and he tied their tails together and he lit a fire between them and let them go in pairs and burnt down all the crops of the Philistines. Now it seems like it's getting ugly. But it's not as ugly as it's going to get when the other Philistines discovered why Samson did this I mean somebody's kind of doing some investigative reporting here we want to find out what in the world set all of this nonsense into motion and when they found out why Samson was mad and why he caught all these foxes and run them through the crops and burned down all the fields here's what the Bible says they did they burned I know this is gruesome But they burned Samson's bride and her father. And so it's eye for eye, tooth for tooth. I know we got way more teeth than eyes, but you eventually gonna run out of everything if you don't stop this madness. And so when they found out they killed her, they burned him, the scripture says, and her father. And this revenge on Samson only made Samson more furious. And so the scripture says in Judges 15 and 7, and Samson said unto them, Though ye have done this, yet will I be avenged of you, and after I will cease. And he smote them hip and thigh with a great slaughter and went down and dwelt among the rock of, of Edom. And so when he heard what happened and how Samson's own people turned, he, they, they tied him with ropes so they, they did everything they could do but the spirit of the Lord overtook Samson and he killed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey I mean this thing is getting out of hand by far getting out of hand and after this there was you know you would think at some point Samson would remember don't you know I mean just just a, a postscript here but don't don't you know that somewhere in all this Samson's parents were not don't you think at some point they were saying hey Hey, Samson, how much more of this has got to go on until this ends? I mean, what in the world it's got to end? I just have to think that somewhere mom and dad were not just mute standing in a corner pretending nothing was going on. I think they were saying, Samson, you've got to get it together. I mean, look how many innocent people are losing their lives over nonsense, over nonsense. But Samson just can't get it together. And then so we read, and and again, I'll abbreviate this for the sake of time, but there was another encounter with yet another prostitute in the city named Gaza. Not to belabor the point, I I just want to move on to the part of the story that we're perhaps the most familiar with, and I will say this as our musicians come. And that would be Samson's affair with a lady by the name of Delilah. It was Delilah... It was Delilah that finally and ultimately brought him down. I'm telling you, with all my heart, I believe there were men that sat around the campfire night after night after night sharpening their sword, saying, tomorrow I'm getting him. Tomorrow I'm going to lay him in the ground. But they were not shrewd enough. Their swords were not sharp enough. Their abilities were just not honed and skilled enough. But you see, the enemy had one, one waiting. And so it was Delilah. Once again, when Delilah stole his heart, the Philistines conspired with her to try to defeat him. They persuaded Delilah to discover the source of his strength, This was far more serious than the riddle. (laughs) Oh, yes. But it was the same tactic. She tried time and time and time again. And I know, isn't it a great mystery that Samson tells her something that's not true, but she does it and then he wakes up. Wouldn't you think at some point he realizes this woman's not playing? No matter what I tell her, she does it. And yet he walks and walks deeper and deeper into this web of confusion and debauchery. The Bible says that Delilah vexed him over and over and over and over and over and over. And finally he just throws up his hands, I suppose, in absolute surrender and says, well, here's here's what you do if you just cut the locks of my hair. It'll all be said and done. And so in time, that's that's exactly what happened. And so, of course, that night, to no one's surprise, Delilah cut his hair. The next morning, the Philistines captured him, and the very first thing they did was pluck out his eyes. What a cruel, bloody, bloody mess. And then they used him as a common animal. And they tied him to the grain mill and, and around and around and around he would just grind that corn or the grain. He was a completely broken man by now. He was a completely changed man by now. This is not the same man that picked up the gates of the city and took them to the hilltop and set them down. This was not the same man who took the jawbone of a donkey and slayed a thousand men. No, this was a different man. This was a broken man. This was a man that realized that God truly, in the words of some of the old timers, had slowly walked him down. His past had invariably caught up with him. And so they thought they had won And because of that, they threw a great party and they gave praise to Dagon, their God. And the Bible says in Judges 16, 23, Samson called unto the Lord and said, in Judges 16, 23, the Bible says, And the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice unto Dagon, their God, and to rejoice, for they said, Our God hath delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands here we have him and so Samson had squandered away his opportunity his poor stewardship of God's gifts to him had not only disgraced him but his entire family one writer said this and I I just thought this so interesting he said though he could control others with his ferocious strength he didn't have the self control that he needed to keep one secret Just one. Just one. That lack of self-control was his downfall and ultimate demise. In the middle of their festivities, the drunken Philistines said, I know what let's do. Let's bring Samson up here and we'll let him entertain us. How humiliating. It wasn't enough that they had captured him and blinded him and strapped him to the chore of an animal that said, let's bring him up here. We want him to hear our laughter. He can't see us laughing, but he can hear us laughing. The Bible says that nearly 3,000 Philistines were gathered at this party. And I know it seems like that I've strayed from my subject a little bit, but I'm coming home right here. With his hands on the support pillars of the temple, God's man prayed. Now, he doesn't look holy. <laughs> he doesn't look righteous. And, and, you know, and we've thrown all of his laundry right out here in the street to look at it tonight. He doesn't have a Bible under his arm. He doesn't look like a preacher, certainly by any stretch of anyone's imagination. But a broken man at the end of himself ask a lad to lead him to the pillars. You know the story. Many of you heard it in Sunday school. In the book of Judges 16 and 28, let's, let's stand together. And I, I want to read this to you and read it along with me. And Samson called unto the Lord and said, Oh, Lord God, remember me. Remember me. I pray thee, strengthen me!" I pray thee only this once. Just one more time, oh God, that I may be avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. God, I I have miserably failed you. But I'm asking you one more time. So what happens when God's people pray? No, please don't understand, misunderstand me tonight. I, I'm not suggesting that you can live your life any old way. Because I want you to clearly understand. The man that has braced himself between these two pillars is a long, 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 long way from the man before he went to Timnath. Amen. Can I just insert this right here? I I don't want to leave the wrong impression because we certainly preach grace. The Bible's full of grace. We try to preach that, not just preach that, but live it here. But the Bible says that a prodigal son, I want my inheritance. I want everything that belongs to me. And his father gave him his inheritance and he went away and he wasted it all. Came to himself in a hog pen and came home. And he was welcomed home and restored back into his father's home and his father's graces. But you never, ever, ever read anything about that wasted inheritance. Because see what he spent He spent. Amen. Amen. It was gone. That chapter of our life is closed. And so you, whatsoever a man soweth that, shall he also reap. That's positive and that's negative. And so what happens? Here's a broken man. He's a different man. He's a changed man. But hear me tonight. He's still God's man. He was still God's son. And so when he put his arms, God anointed him, as our words would say. He was not moving with the steps of an egotist like he once did. In many ways, he was far from that. Captured, humiliated, tormented, and blind. That doesn't sound like any trace evidence of a victor. But look what happens. In in Judges 16, 29, and 30, we'll read this. The Bible says, and Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon the house which upon which the house stood, and on which it was borne up of the one on his right hand, the other on his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all of his might, and the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people that were therein. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than that which he slew in his life. And so Samson's mission from birth was one thing he chose a different route he paid a huge price for that but in the end god's grace was sufficient enough to hear his prayer one more time and to reward and avenge israel amen i'm telling you tonight that that sometimes we think well i just my life is just such a mess there's just no way it could be right let me tell you something god hears our prayer god hears our prayer Amen. Why don't we just gather around the front? Can we close in family prayer? Hallelujah. I love you today, Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that that you just somehow reach around our failure and our mistakes. Somehow, God, you reach behind and around the, the past that's just jaded and scarred, bloodied by bad decisions that we've made ourselves, whether intentional or unintentional. We have found ourselves walking down roads that we should have never been. We were on our way to Timnath when we should have never been even shopping there. Oh God, I pray tonight that you would help us to realize the value of your spirit. (laughs) The power of your presence. In Jesus' name.